Hi, friends. It's so good uh, to be here with you. Um, my oldest daughter and I had the privilege of being able to travel um, to Southern California for this week as I was speaking at a conference and just thrilled to be able to fill in the pulpit as Pastor Dominic still on sabbatical uh, for one more week. So if you see Dominic, who's you know lingering around here somewhere, you can't ask him any ministry question until next week. But as we are now in our first Sunday of the new year, I've been reflecting on that old phrase, begin as you intend to go on. And it raises a question for me, how do I begin? And how should I go on this year? How should we approach all the opportunities and obstacles this year as, as families, as friends, as a church community? And to address that, I'd love for you to turn in your Bibles to the book of John chapter 21. John chapter 21, I'm going to read verses 15 to 22, this text that I believe powerfully speaks into the way we think about ordering our lives, the way we think about what is most important as we begin this new year. John chapter 21, I'll read verses 15 to 22. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who is going to betray you? And when Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, you are worthy of all of our attention and affection. And we pray this morning that you would help us to see anew and afresh that you are. Or perhaps for some here this morning, for the first time, that you are worthy of first place in our lives. 
I pray that you would remove the distractions, the blinders that would keep us from obeying this simple but profound call to follow you into 2020. Holy Spirit, you know what each one of us needs to hear. You know the cares and concerns and worries and hopes and fears we have in our hearts. We pray that you would speak into them all. And would you do this by the power of the Holy Spirit? We ask together in Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. Well, you may have heard the letter that made the rounds some years ago, a letter written from a daughter to her parents after going off to college. Dear mother and father, since I left for college, I've been remiss in writing, and I'm sorry for my thoughtlessness and not having written before. I will bring you up to date now, but before I do, please sit down. You are not allowed to read any further unless you are seated. Well then, I'm getting on pretty well now. The skull fracture and the concussion I got when I jumped out of the window of my dormitory when it caught fire shortly after my arrival here is pretty well healed. I only spent two weeks in the hospital, and I can now see almost normally and only get those sick headaches once a day. Fortunately, the fire in my dormitory and my jump was witnessed by the tenant at a gas station near the dorm, and he was the one who called the fire department and the ambulance. He also visited me in the hospital, and since I had nowhere to live because of the fire, he was kind enough to invite me to share his apartment with him. It's really more like a basement, but it is kind of cute. He's a very fine boy, and we've fallen deeply in love, and we are planning on getting married. His divorce is almost final now, and he shares custody with only three of his children. We haven't gotten the exact date yet, but it will be before my pregnancy begins to show. Yes, mother and father, I am pregnant. I know how much you're looking forward to being grandparents, and I know that you will welcome the baby and give it the same love and devotion and tender care you gave me when I was a child. Now that I brought you up to date, I want to tell you that there was no dormitory fire. I did not have a concussion or a skull fracture. I was not in the hospital. I'm not pregnant. I'm not engaged. And there is no boyfriend. However, I am getting a D in history and an F in chemistry. And I wanted you to see these grades with the right perspective and the right priorities. Your loving daughter, Sharon. <laughs> and I suppose the point is... There are more important things in life than bad grades. And her need to write this letter to her parents in such a way actually reveals a problem that we all share. Our tendency to elevate the less important things above the most important things. All of us, as we approach this new year, this new season and whatever that brings for you personally, we will all face the great temptation to elevate what is less important over what is most important. And friends, the consequences 
are not insignificant. Spiritually speaking, with the perspective of the Bible, distraction away from the most important thing can actually cost you everything. It is absolutely vital, church, that we get our priorities right. And what are priorities? My simple definition is this. Priorities are decisions we make before opportunities. Before the new job offer comes your way in 2020, before the possibility of moving your child to a new school, before you make that financial decision, You've got to have priorities, matters that are already settled in your heart, convictions that you already hold in your life before the different opportunities come so that you are not swayed or overly influenced by less important things. You need to settle what are the most important things. So what should my priorities be? And how can I keep from being distracted? What should your priorities be? And how can you keep from getting distracted in this year? It's the question I want you to think about this morning. When John, the apostle, writes this early biography of Jesus, he makes the case that Jesus is the Son of God, the Savior of the world. And at the end of his account, he lays out a path for those who believe in him. And this scene at the end is beautiful and powerful. There, the resurrected Jesus is sitting on the beach having breakfast with his friends. Jesus, of course, has died a horrible death on a cross, but he rose three days later, and word about his resurrection spreads like wildfire. It's news would change the world. And this group sitting on the beach that day were going to be the first to tell of it. And how Jesus prepares them for this mission reveals the spiritual priorities of life, what matters most. And in particular, it's through this conversation that Jesus has with Peter that we learn several lessons in priorities. And the first is this, and I want us to take them to heart as we begin this new year. The first is this. Jesus is the center of spiritual life. Jesus is the source of spiritual life. Now, this may seem like the most obvious point to make to anyone who has a basic understanding of Christianity. Many of you are like, we knew you were going to say that. And yet, it must be stated and restated. And there's several reasons why I think that is. The first is this. Most people today in our culture, especially in the United States, will tell you that your number one priority is to focus on yourself before anything else. 
It's the subtle message in all of the Netflix series we watch, the advertising that we see, the conversations that we have at work. Subtly yet powerfully, this message again and again creeps into our lives saying that we must put ourselves first. Chances are it's one of the first things you'll see on Instagram this year. Somebody like with a photo of a mountain saying, I've decided in this year to put myself first. And everyone's like, you're so brave. (laughs) I'm inspired to put myself first as well. Now, please do not misunderstand me. I'm not neglecting the importance of self-care appropriately and all of that. But what I am saying is this. God did not create for us to have at the center of our spiritual lives ourselves. God designed us, God created us to feed upon him for our spiritual nourishment. God created us to center our lives on and around who he is. If we do not do that, we will end up being starved of what we truly need. It needs to be said. Jesus is the center of spiritual life. And it must be said often in the church because we, if you're anything like me, need to be constantly reminded. And notice the way in which Jesus reminds Peter is profound. He says in verse 15, as they're there on the beach, days after Jesus has rose again from the grave, and in the midst of his friends, Jesus asks, what almost seems to be an awkward and, dare I say, inappropriate question. Peter, do you love me more than these? What is Jesus actually asking in this moment? And how could a person possibly know the answer? When Jesus says, Peter, do you love me more than these? He's referring to the other disciples, the other followers of Jesus who are also sat around that morning campfire. Saying, Peter, do you love me more than the rest of these people love me? Which, let's all be honest, that's an awkward question. But it makes so much sense when you go back to earlier conversations that were had with Peter. In John chapter 13, verse 37, Peter, in a moment of boldness and confidence, says, but why can't I come now, Lord, he asked. I am ready to die for you. And in Matthew's gospel, in the midst of the disciples, when Jesus warned his followers that they would betray them, Peter, you got to love Peter, declares, even if everyone else departs from you, I will never desert you. And I always wonder how awkward it would have been to be one of the other disciples when Peter has his moments. Hey, these guys are idiots, but I will never abandon you, Jesus. And Matthew's like, really, Peter? See, Jesus 
was revealing Peter's track record to speak very boldly and very confidently about his commitment. And after such claims where Peter is declaring, hey, these guys don't love you as much as I do, clearly, Jesus, on this morning, is asking him if he is still so sure of himself. Peter, are you still so confident as you once were in your own strength? To our relief, Peter neither puffs himself up nor beats himself up. He simply says, you know, Lord. And I draw attention to what Peter didn't do in that moment because they are two errors that you and I often lean towards in the Christian life. The one is to puff yourself up and say, of course I do. And maybe some of you are approaching 2020 like that. You're like, I am going to crush it spiritually this year. <laughs> Anyone start a new Bible reading plan? A few of you are like, already done. <laughs> Genesis to Revelation in five days. Read it in Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic. <laughs> you are approaching this year full of confidence. You're like, yeah, I'm pretty mature, and I think other people just have loads to learn from me this year. So in a way, I'm kind of a gift to Reality Ventura this year. <laughs> now, on the other hand, the rest of if you're like me, you don't puff yourself up, you beat yourself up. And I'm amazed that Peter neither says, oh, yes, Lord, of course I do. But nor does Peter get all passive aggressive like, obviously I don't, Lord Jesus. So just say what you're going to say because here I am, failure Peter all over again. See, how many of us just approach the new year, even church like that? Here I am, Lord. Expose my sins for what they are yet again because I'm the worst. In fact, let me do it for you. Let my spouse do it for you, because their list is longer. <laughs> Peter neither puffs himself up nor beats himself up. He simply says, Jesus, you know. Peter rests simply in the fact that Jesus knows his heart. Just as Jesus knows your heart. And in order to direct our hearts, our spiritual life, our attention, he does so by asking this all-important question. Not just once, not just twice, but three times in verses 16 and 17. Do you love me? The simple fact that Jesus asks Peter, who is about to become one of the prominent leaders in the early church, three times about Peter's love for him, teaches us this all-important question. Do we love Jesus? The most important question you can ask at the beginning of 2020 is, where am I at with Jesus? Before, where am I at with my finances? Before, where am I at with this new place we're moving into or whatever challenges my health concerns, financial concerns, relational concerns? Friends, the number one question that we must ask is where am I at with Jesus? 
You might be here this morning. You're not a Christian. You're new, and somebody has annoyed you to death, and finally they, they succeed, and you're like, fine, I'm here. And maybe you've carried in your heart into this place all these things that concern you about your life, wondering which one takes precedent over the other. And my dear friend, if that's you, God is saying, I've brought you here this morning to direct your attention to what is most important the God who has created you. And notice how practical this question is. It's connected to a very practical response. Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Tend to my flock. Peter, do you love me? Feed my lambs. He's encouraging Peter to take care of the people that he loves. To put it another way, all the responsibilities around you in your life must be connected to and flow from love for Jesus Christ. Absolutely. Friends, please note this. Where there is love for Jesus, there will be fruit and health in all other areas of life. Do you want to grow in your marriage? Love Jesus first. Because he provides the meaning for marriage. Do you want to grow in wisdom with your finances this year? Love Jesus first because he's the one that ultimately provides for you and guides you in how you are to invest your resources for eternal purposes that last forever. Do you want to grow in your friendships? Jesus is the true and better friend who shows you what friendship is all about and the loyalty and the humility and vulnerability that comes from that, that you are all meant to experience comes from loving Jesus. We find our identity first in a relationship with Jesus and as a result with everything else. I learned this in a very simple yet powerful way for me when my family and I first moved to London uh, just over four years ago. Bear in mind, this is after 10 years of leading a church in L.A. where I was like the preacher and that was like my thing and it kind of got wrapped up in my identity. I am a preacher. And every Easter, that was especially true, because Easter is like the big moment. Gonna preach the gospel. And what a glorious privilege it was. But in that first year, we moved to London. I had to work at a Church of England church in order to get my visa while we set up Reality Church London as a charity, after which time I had to actually hire myself and get approval from the government and then establish it to the Charities Commission, and it took, took a year. It was complicated, but I got the job. But during that time, I was working at my friend's church part-time, and came Easter Sunday. And I was there, sat in a pew of this beautiful old church, and somebody else was preaching the gospel. And it felt weird. I'm like, wait, I'm a preacher. Why am I not preaching on Easter? And it was so powerful and yet so simple. The Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, Tim, what's most important is not that you preach about me, but that you listen to me. Your identity is not found in being a preacher, but being a child of God. And I was like, right. It's like, yeah, bring it on. Jesus is risen. <laughs> Just a simple little shift of emphasis in my own heart. And where does that need to take place for you? Where does Jesus fit in your list of priorities? 
it's powerful because when Jesus speaks directly to Peter about what he's going to face in the future, Jesus is teaching us all a much bigger lesson. Our lives are meant to reflect Jesus. That's the purpose. And just as Jesus faced suffering, so we will face suffering. And so Jesus tells Peter that he's going to have a very specific kind of a death that's going to be a a martyr's death. And though many of us may never face that same fate, we will face suffering. Don't be surprised by suffering in this life, Jesus says, for I have suffered. I went through this route myself, but I am alive, and so you will live and experience new life now and forever. He is the center and source of spiritual life. And so as a result, secondly, here's the thing we must keep in mind. Therefore, devotion is a necessity of spiritual life. If Jesus is the Son of God, Savior, if he's the source of all life, then practically what flows from that is that, Je- that devotion is a necessity of spiritual life. I'll never forget when I read about one university philosophy professor who always began the first day of his year with his students by saying, I'm about to teach you the most important thing you will ever learn. And he pulled out a large, empty mayonnaise jar. At which point the students began to wonder, low cholesterol? Like, what's happening here? And he began to pull out these rocks, about two inch in diameter. And he began to place these large rocks within the jar until it reached the top. And he asked the class, is the jar full? And they said, yes. He then brought out a large bowl of pebbles and began to fill the jar with the pebbles, and the pebbles, as he shook the jar, began to fill in the spaces around the rocks until it reached the top. And he asked the class again, is the jar full? They said it is. He then proceeded to pull out a bowl of sand, and he began to pour the sand into this jar, and the sand worked its way around the rocks and around the pebble until it got all the way to the top, and he asked the familiar question, is it full? And they said, it is. And to their surprise, he grabbed a pot of coffee, and he poured the coffee onto the rocks and the pebbles and the sand until the liquid reached the top, and he said again, is the jar full? And they said, it is. And he said, class, here's the point. The rocks represent the most important things in life. And here's the lesson. If you put the sand in first, there is no room for the rocks. The sand, the pebbles, they represent the less important things. And yet we often fill the jar of our lives with the less important things and then realize we have these other larger priorities, but by that time, it's full. He says, the rocks must go in first. Now, the clever students say, why the coffee? And he said, because no matter how busy life is, there's always room for caffeine, which is a philosophy that I personally subscribe to. (laughs) But the meaning, friends, is obvious. The rocks go in first, and many of us, we're filling the jar of life with less important things. They might be good things, friends, family, food, fitness, fun, other things that begin with the same letter. And those are good things. But they're never meant to go in first. And when we fill our lives with all these other things, we're then surprised to wake up one morning realizing, oh no, I've neglected what is most important. 
Because if Jesus is the center of spiritual life, then cultivating love for him is of our utmost priority. The rocks go in first. The word devotion simply means a loving and committed response. And we're actually wired that way. We are creatures of affection. And whatever fills our minds and fills our schedules, they stir up our affection. So, for example, if you are a sports fan and you have your team, and you go to the stadium to see your team play, chances are if you go to the stadium that my 12-year-old and I go to in London to, to watch a match, and you arrive early, there will be videos of, of fantastic goals and nostalgia and dramatic music. And what are they doing? They're stirring up your affections for the team so that when kickoff arrives, everyone is just frothing with excitement. Okay, maybe sports isn't your thing. Maybe it's the theater. When was the last time you went to the theater? I went to Les Mis several years ago, my daughter. Oh, okay, there we are. <laughs> and you go and you arrive early and they give you this program that's like 80 pages and they're like, the costumes are woven in gold. And you're like, oh my gosh. And like the symphonies, you know, tuning up. And you're like, I can't wait. And the curtains open and you're like, ah, and you can't wait for it. What's happening? Your affections are being stirred. Think about the, the advertising that you hear on a daily and weekly basis. What are they doing? They're appealing to your affections. Okay, MasterCard doesn't say, hey, you guys should probably take this card, 28% APR. Just do it. No, because rationally you'd be like, that's terrible. But you know what they do? They show pictures of your children. And they say, MasterCard, only 28% APR. But Disneyland that costs $25,000 to go to, priceless. <laughs> and you're like, oh, well, I want my children to have a good life, so I must spend $25,000 for four hours at Disneyland, and therefore I don't have the money, and I must take the MasterCard. What are they doing? They're stirring up your affections. We're wired for it, and so it is with what matters most. We need to fill our lives with things that stir up affection for what matters most. Many of us are filling up our lives with things that stir up our affections for less important things. But if you remember anything from this morning, friends, please remember this. The goal of all the stuff that the church is calling you and asking you to do, the things that you read about in Scripture— they're calling you to fill your lives with things that stir up affection for Jesus. Prayer, Bible reading, fellowship, these are very basic, fundamental aspects of the Christian life. So familiar that we often forget their importance, but please do not forget their meaning. Why do we pray to stir up affection for Jesus? Why do we sing to stir up affection for Jesus? Why do we gather together as a church to stir up affection for Jesus? This morning you heard Pastor Chad give announcements. And if you're anything like me, oftentimes, sadly, we tend to check out during announcements. But please think of announcements in a whole new light. Because beginning next Sunday, one of the pastors will come up and say, friends, here are seven ways that you can fill your life with things that stir up affection for Jesus. 
The women's Bible study, why go? Because it will stir up your affection for Jesus. Corporate prayer, why should you go? Because it's something to add into your life that will stir up affection for Jesus. Why should you send your kids to junior high camp and high school camp? Because hopefully by the grace of God, the Holy Spirit's gonna work in those kids' lives as we believe he's working this weekend to stir up affection for what matters most, and that's Jesus. We need to ask this year, what am I filling up my life with? We need to fill up our lives with things that stir up affection for Jesus. That's why we're here. That's why we sing the songs that we sing. The point of church is not to say, I don't like that song. (laughs) We did that one too much in like 2019. (laughs) Look, I get it. I could be, you know, cynical and whatever. But the point of the music is to do what? Oh, God bless you, church. I walk in and I'm like, cornerstone, right, yes. Yes, Jesus, you're the cornerstone. Because I've been stressed out about all these lesser things. They're important, but they're not the most important. The most important thing for me to know is that Jesus Christ is my cornerstone. Let's sing about it. I need a worship leader who's filled with the Spirit to say, hey, Tim, or not specifically, but, you know, the Holy Spirit prophetically, Tim, you're thinking about all these things. That's fine, but I'm the most important thing. Devotion is a necessity of the spiritual life. Think about Psalm 1, a psalm that to someone who's been a Christian for a number of years might be so familiar, but look at its beauty. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scoffers, but his delight, not his duty, His delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season, and its leaf does not wither. Meditating on Scripture, reading our Bibles in the morning, giving attention to times of prayer, communing with God, experiencing what we talk about, experiencing what we believe, gathering together. Some of us are spiritually shriveling because we are filling up our lives which stir up affections for lesser things. Dare I say, some of us are too flippant when it comes to the responsibilities of the Christian life. I'll go to church if I don't have something else better to do. It's so easy for our love to wane And because it's so easy for our love to wane, we need to constantly come back to Christ's question and ask him to grow our love and to make it stronger. Do I love Jesus and how am I loving the people around me? Peter's response on this morning is almost like saying, Jesus, I can no longer appeal to my own ability. I don't trust myself. Instead, I appeal to your knowledge of me and your knowledge of other people, and your knowledge of my life. See, devotion and love for Jesus is not to be practiced as some kind of random emotional moment. Or as one professor once told me long ago, be a candle, not a match. Best metaphor I ever heard. When you strike a match, it's exciting. It's still exciting to my eight-year-old. I strike one, she's like, like, magic. And I'm like, no, science. I strike it, and there's this burst of flame, but it only lasts like two seconds. And to be honest, that's how many of us live the Christian life. You're like, yeah, I'm not doing good, but I'm going to a conference in March. Now, don't get me wrong. I just preached at a conference. I like conferences. They're good. 
But that match is meant to light a candle. And when a candle is lit, it can light up a room for hours. There are profound moments that can happen in large environments. But please do not neglect the parts of our lives, the moments that nobody else sees. When you just wake up in the morning and just say, Jesus, I'm here. Help me to love you. Jesus, I want to hear from you. I want to go to the prayer meeting, not because I'm extra holy, but because I'm desperate and I want to see God move in Ventura. And I'm not going to make it happen. God, you need to make it happen. Because if I've learned one thing, maturity is never an accident. (laughs) Right? Nobody ever just wakes up and your spouse is like, oh my goodness, you're mature. (laughs) I don't know what happened. Like, I ate well last night. I got eight hours. I'm like, here I am. And the kids are like, you shall be blessed. You know, like, you're so mature. It's not an accident. And Christ has called us to give devotion and attention. Follow me, he says. And the conversation that comes next is not a coincidence. I think it's a lesson than, that what can distract us, and perhaps for some of us, what is distracting us. Thirdly, comparison is an enemy of spiritual life. Peter, who had just been told what his responsibilities to Jesus would be, that he would serve Jesus, love Jesus, and serve him by loving his sheep, instead of expressing gratitude for the gracious way in which he had just been restored or asking how his responsibilities might be fulfilled, he immediately inquires about someone else. What about John? Isn't this great? There's Peter having this personal, profound conversation with Jesus. And Peter's like, "Uh uh-huh, yep, feed my sheep. What about John? (laughs) I mean, I don't know the reason for why he asked. Perhaps Peter just wanted to compare callings. Well, I don't want to, like, die a martyr's death. What about John? Perhaps Peter wanted Jesus to point out John's faults. Hey, Jesus, thank you so much for just kind of revealing that area that I need to be spoken to. You know who else needs something? John. (laughs) John, what areas of weakness uh, do you invite Jesus to speak into? (laughs) Or perhaps Peter was simply drawing attention away from his own responsibilities. Let's be honest. Many times in the church, we push aside what the Holy Spirit is saying because we're like, yeah, Lord, I know you want to deal with stuff in my life, but like, look at these other people. You've got to ration out your prophetic words here. Like, okay, they definitely need it more than I do. (laughs) In any case, Jesus saw it necessary to correct Peter. What if it is my will for John to live forever? What is that to you? You follow me. He's basically saying, my plans for John aren't the same in their particulars and their specifics as they are for you, Peter. And what is happening with John should not be your primary concern. Our focus is often on other people. And sadly, we often substitute our relationship with Jesus for a job of judging other people's relationships with Jesus. Like, hey, I think you could really grow in holiness this year. Hey, I just wanted to point out like 27 areas in your life I really think God needs to work on. And we're so busy like judging other people's areas of needs that we're not actually communing with the God who loves us. But our concern 
should not be a replacement for or a distraction from a responsibility to follow Jesus. If we don't do that, friends, what's going to happen? Bitterness, envy, strife, jealousy, frustration, that's what's going to happen. But on a positive note, Christ's rebuke here is amazing because he is stating that every person's call is vitally important. He's saying, Peter, the call I have on your life is important, just like the call I have on John's life is important. See, some of you are here this morning and you feel discouraged because maybe in your comparison game, you're thinking, well, God's using these other people, but what about me? My dear friend, do not let the devil lie to you this morning saying to you, that God's call in your life is unimportant. Because if the devil cannot blind you to the sin in your life, he will blind you to the fruit in your life. If he can't blind you to the bad things, he will blind you to the good things that God wants you to do so that you will not see. And it's if God is saying to you this morning, the call that I have on your life matters. You must follow me. Can you encourage other people in their call? Absolutely, but do not outsource what I have for you. You, my dear child, follow me and do it continually. And those words, follow me, they are not only a call to courage, they are actually an enabling promise. Because let's be honest, if we're going to do all this stuff, if we're going to be freed from comparison and shriveling spiritually and invest in all these spiritual responsibilities, we need to know this last point. Grace is the foundation of spiritual life. It is not based on the power that I have. It is based on the power that God has. This message of grace is the message you will not hear in any New Year's resolutions. The invitation to follow me, Jesus says, shows us grace that Jesus would choose Peter, a problematic, sin-stained person like him, to have a relationship with Jesus. And it is no coincidence that the three questions of Jesus here echo the three denials of Peter that happened over the previous weekend. When, G when Peter said, I do not know Jesus. Was Peter grieved when he heard the question asked three times on this morning? Yes. But it is not as though Jesus intended to cause Peter pain but the reality is when we're confronted by our shortcomings, it is painful. But notice the grace. Though Peter denied the Lord in the presence of enemies, Jesus affirms him in the presence of his friends. Jesus speaks grace to him. His purpose is not condemnation, but restoration. In fact, Jesus told Peter this would happen. In Luke chapter 22, Simon, Simon, Peter Satan has asked to sift you all as wheat, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail, and when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. We are called to make commitments, yes, but they are based on Christ's commitment to us. We are called to make investments in 2020, but they are based on Christ's investment in us. We are called to love the people of Reality Ventura, Ventura County, but it's based on Christ's love for us. We are called to give ourselves to prayer and to devotional reading and to community, but we do not pray to earn God's favor. We pray to enjoy God's favor. 
We do not gather on Sunday to earn God's favor. We gather to enjoy God's favor. We do not wake up in the morning and open up the word of God to earn God's favor as if we're climbing a ladder of good works. We open up the word of God because in his grace he's spoken to us and he wants to change us by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's all about the grace of God. And that is where we find hope that Jesus stood in our place on our behalf. How can he look at Peter? And how can he look at us with mercy in our moments of failure? Because on the cross, Jesus went through the trial and judgment that our sin deserves so that we can have the acceptance that his righteous life deserves. That's what happened with Peter and it's what happens with us. And it's in looking to Jesus knowing that he paid for our sin and that he prays for us, that we are restored, that we are healed, that we are renewed, that we are refreshed. Isn't that what you want this year? I don't know about you, but I feel exhausted. I just feel absolutely exhausted. And if I dare look anywhere else other than Jesus, I'm going to continue to burn out. But when I see Jesus and what he's done for me, It's like everything comes to life. Everything comes to light. Friends, this year you're going to face opportunities and obstacles, and the question now is what are your priorities? Jesus says, do you love me? Because know this, I love you. We love him because he first loved us. That's Christianity, and that's what we need to know. Father, I pray right now that your Holy Spirit would reveal any area of our lives in this room where we're putting less important things in place of the most important thing. They may even be good things like friends and family, even the church, but they're never meant to take the throne. So, Father, the best we know how, we're asking that you would expose those areas and that you would lovingly renew us, refresh us, and restore us. Friends, in an attitude of prayer, if you're here this morning and you do not yet know Jesus, maybe this is your first time in church, and you're looking for whatever is the answer to all that you need in life, Jesus is the answer. And he's brought you here today so that you can meet him. And if you want to know that you are forgiven of all your sins and have a relationship with God, not just now but forever, just pray from your heart right now. Don't waste another moment. Just say, Jesus, save me. I believe you died on a cross for my sins. I believe you rose again to give me new life. Save me. Friend, if that's you, just pray that from the heart. And know that you are forgiven and accepted. And church, I just sense this morning that this is a time as we worship and respond to ask God these honest questions. What needs to go? What needs to start? And what needs to stay? What needs to remain? So with open arms, as we come to Jesus and anew and afresh say, Jesus, you are first, then let's ask him for the wisdom and grace that we need to do all that he's called us to do.
And the Holy Spirit is so amazing and powerful. He's going to provide everything we need. Let's just ask him. Father, would you do that now in your name for your glory? Communion is up here in the front, and I invite you on this first Sunday of 2020, if you're a a believer, to come forward and take the bread, dip it in the cup, representing Christ's body broken for you, his blood shed for you, his love shown towards you. He's given everything for you. Celebrate that, friend, as we confess our sin and our shortcoming. Let's celebrate that we are loved, that we have a Jesus who restores us and heals us. You can come to the carpets, get on your knees, lift your hands. There are men and women to my left and to my right against the walls. They're here to pray with you, for you, over you. If you need wisdom this year, come and ask. If you need guidance, come and ask. If you need supernatural healing, come and ask. Let's ask for great things because we have a great God. Push your way past the people in the rows. Don't be shy. Don't be afraid. Come and say, God, I need you. We're not a group of people who have it all together. We are desperate people who found a Savior. Amen? So let's lift our voices. Let's sing. Let's allow the Holy Spirit to stir up affection for the one who loves us perfectly. Let's do that now.